All right, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to be in verse 6. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to preach this faster in this service today. And I have no problem doing that because today is Baptism Sunday. I want the, we wanted the focus to be on what the Lord is doing there. And so we, we, want, we took time. I, I told them, linger and worship and let's just celebrate. And so, but I do feel like I have a word. Um, I, I, I wanna, I'm, I'm going to continue in this series. We've been in a series called Purposes. Everyone say Purposes. You got to say it like you had breakfast. Say purposes. There you go. Say plans, problems, and the pursuit. Now, when you think about those four Ps, right? It's like you think about the word purpose. I like the word purpose. You like the word purpose? I'll take purpose. How about plans? You like plans? I love Jeremiah 29, 11, Right? For I know the, that I have for you, says the Lord, right? The pursuit, love pursuit. It's, it's the other P word in there, problems. I don't like problems. Is anyone with me? Like, don't you, okay, don't you wish it could just be purposes, plans, pursuit? No, but it's purposes. Someone say plans, problems. And the pursuit. I want to speak to you from the subject today. Life hurts, but God heals. And when we talk about purpose, if I could say it like this, I think sometimes we romanticize it to the point where we forget that purpose comes with oftentimes a lot of problems and yes, even some pain. And in case I don't get through this whole message today, this is what I feel like the Lord has sent me here to say. I, I felt him kind of whisper to me over there. I really feel like what the Lord is saying this morning is your pain or your problems don't have to be wasted in him. We'll say that again for those in the back. Your pain and the problems that you have walked through and are walking do do not have to be wasted. Amen. That's my assignment this morning, okay? And, and so, you know, we, we, I, I, we love the purpose and the plans and all that, but a lot of times we don't like some of the things we have to walk through to get there. I, I, you know, I was reading the book, of, the book of Acts one day, and I was reading that part where it's telling Paul's story of how, when he converted. And, you know, we know the story. God knocks Paul off the donkey, right? And... He tells Ananias, he, he tells Ananias, hey, listen, there's, you're going to pray for this guy. Um, I need you to pray for him because he can't see. There's scales on his eyes. I, I, have, I have called him to bear my name amongst the Gentiles, right? Now, even secular philosophers, secular historians will tell you the Apostle Paul has had one of the greatest influences on Western civilization of anyone that's ever lived. Because when Paul brought the gospel to the Gentiles, the gospel became the foundation of Western civilization. I don't know if you've ever looked at our laws. A lot of our laws, they can see, they, 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 that's, that's why it's an oxymoron to try to remove God from the legal system. Because all of the laws are actually built on Judeo-Christian values. Uh, property, property laws are in the Bible. Labor laws are in the Bible. 
God's the one who said you don't need to work on the weekends. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm, that's not what I, I didn't come to give a lecture this morning. But you, you'd, be, you'd be surprised at how influential the gospel has been in the West. So God, in the book of Acts, God gives, is talking about this big calling that he's given to the apostle Paul. He says, he's going to bear my name amongst the Gentiles. And that's why God told him, you're going to go by Paul. You know, God didn't change his name. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. God said, you're going to go by your Roman name because I'm, that's who I'm calling you to. So Paul, Paul's given this incredible promise. Like, how many, how many of you love that? It's like, oh, God's calling you to a big ministry, right? You're going to reach the world. Awesome. It's the next part that no one ever tells you about. He tells Ananias, pray for him because I have to show him things that he will have to suffer. I knew that would only get like four claps because whenever we're talking about big plans and big destiny, sign me up. But I don't want to have to go through nothing. But can I say something? There is no getting to purpose and meaningful purpose and where God can release the anointing in your life without going through some some problems and some pain. And here's, here, here's what I want to say. I'm not saying that God ordains everything that happens. What I'm saying is that God uses everything that happens. And a lot of times, the pro- yeah, I, don't, I don't know if I'm just speaking for me, but a lot of times the problems in my life are just me. So there's different types of problems. We could even break that down. I don't want to get too far into that. Sometimes my problem is just me. Right? I love that joke. I feel like sometimes the devil's outside the church crying. Why are you crying? Because they're in there blaming all this stuff on me that I didn't do. Sometimes it wasn't the devil. Sometimes it was just. Right. But then there are other problems that happen to you or happen around you or happen to your circumstances that are outside of your control. You can't. You didn't choose the family you were born into. You didn't choose the circumstances you were born into. You didn't choose certain things that happened to you. So some problems come into our life just because, can I say this? We live in a broken world. And I'll say this. Sometimes life hurts. Oh, I felt this kind of enter the room. And so let me just hit it. Maybe, maybe it's just it's good for us to process this. Real faith is not denying that reality. See, people think they have faith. And they're just being fake. They want to be like, life never, life never sucked. I don't go through anything. I'm victorious. Jesus, yes, but be honest. You are victorious. You do have faith, but be honest. You have bad days. You get emotional. People hurt you. Okay. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? You're, you're being conformed to the image of Christ. But if you were already like Christ, God would have took you like he took Enoch. You wouldn't be able to walk this planet. You are still in process. <laughs> okay. So real faith is not denying a problem exists. Real faith is denying it the greatest influence. Faith says, I'm going, this sucks, this hurts, that hurt. But you know what? God is greater. God is able. God is willing. God will. That's what faith is. Right? 
That's not even in my notes, so I don't know what, who that's, what that's, that was for free. So, life hurts. Someone say, life hurts. God heals. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read it because too many verses here, but I'm going to paraphrase it and then pick up in this one part. But we all know the story of when the prophet Samuel is sent to anoint David. How many of you are familiar with that story? All right. And I know we know it, but like I always say, let's revisit this story with some fresh eyes for a moment. All right. So the prophet shows up on the scene. And he's like, Jesse, go get your, go get your boys. Right. And so we know the story one by one. And you can tell in the story the way it outlines that Jesse calls three of them by name. And you can kind of tell he calls his favorites out first. Right. And what does the prophet say to uh, Jesse? I mean, to the boys. No, you're not it. You're not it. You're not it. And he asked Jesse, he says, none of these boys are the ones the Lord has sent me to anoint. You have another son. And it actually says this, and I didn't really ever catch this. It didn't say he's somewhere out there. They saw him in the distance because Jesse said he's over there taking care of the sheep. He's the youngest. All right, you with me this morning? And I'm going to pick up here in verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Don't you just love that? And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and a distressing spirit was sent upon him. And Saul's servant said, surely a distressing spirit is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants to seek out a man. Listen to this. Who is skillful? Someone say skillful. Who is a skillful player of the harp and it shall be that he will play with his hand when he plays it with his hands. The distressing spirit um, when it comes upon you and he, they said you shall be made well. Therefore, a, a man said this. He says, I, I, I have seen a son of Jesse who is skillful in playing a mighty man of valor, a mighty man of war, prudent in speech, and the Lord is with him. And it says they sent for David. Ooh. I'm going to get to that in a minute. That's a word right there. There's going to co- Oh, okay. Let me stop. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who was with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by his, by his son, David, to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him. And listen to this part. Put up verse 21. I want you to see this. I don't know if it's behind me. In verse 21, it says this. When they brought David to Saul, it says that Saul loved him what? Come on, help me preach this morning. It says that they loved him what? Greatly. All right. That's going to be important in just a second. And he became his armor bearer, his right-hand man, right? Carried his sword, his shield, was right there with, with uh, Saul. And, and Saul actually sent word back to Jesse. Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. Now, context. See, so many of us naturally 
are drawn to David in scripture because the Bible says that David was a man after God's own. How many of you prayed that prayer? Lord, make me a person after your own heart. Come on, wave at me. How many of you, that's your prayer? And so when we look at David's life and, and we, we speak about him being a worshiper, we sometimes, I think, like we do with a lot of the characters in the Bible, we try to take out the trauma, I said trauma, and traumatic experiences that he went through that God actually used to mold him. All right. All right. <clears throat> Because from the time David was born, the scriptures don't explicitly say it, but they give us some clues. You can tell there's something about David that the, they don't really want him around. And so and then, then you go into the book of Psalms and at certain times throughout David's life, he alludes to it. For example, in Psalm 69, he says, I am a stranger to my brothers and a foreigner to my mother's children. In another place in the Psalms, he says, I was born in my mother's womb. I was conceived in iniquity. He doesn't go into detail. We have some rabbinical, some external writings that kind of give us some, there's a few theories. And I'm not going to get into it today. But all I can tell you is there's something about David's birth that the father didn't like him being around. I'm going to leave it at that. And his brothers, you can, in any interaction you see David having with his brothers, it's always negative. It's never positive. In other words, from David's youth, his first experience is rejection. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? His first experience is rejection. And I want you to see this, that in this story... It's remarkable because even after, the, even, even after the prophet Samuel comes and pours a horn of oil over David's head. And you know back then, they don't anoint like we do now. You know how now we do the little, you know, the little cross or little, you know. He dumped the whole, am I right or am I right, right? <laughs> and so he got anointed that day. But guess, what, guess where David went? Back to the field to take care of his father's sheep. Can I get real for just a minute? See, some of us, we get anointed and we think we're going to have an international ministry tomorrow, right? We get anointed and we think that we're everything tomorrow. Woo, when I wake up, everyone's going to recognize God's favor on me. Everyone's going to be in my corner. That's not it at all. They sent him right back. To where he came from. And when verse, when chapter 7, and to the point where we're, uh, chapter 16 ends, he's playing the harp, and I'm going to get to that in a second. But when chapter 17 begins, the Bible says how chapter 17 begins. It begins by telling us that Goliath is taunting Israel. The most famous, probably other than the crucifixion, probably the most well-known story in all the Bible. So Goliath is taunting Israel. And the king, basically, everyone's afraid. And the king basically says, if anyone kills this guy, I'll give you a wife and you don't have to pay taxes. That's in the Bible. How many of you would like that deal, right? No taxes. 
I might have fought Goliath if they said no taxes. Um, but literally, that's, that's what, that's what they're, they're desperate. They're, 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 they're grabbing at straws. But I want to pick up in verse 30, 38. I'm sorry, verse 31. And so David shows up on the scene. And David basically says, the Bible says he showed up because his father sends him on an errand to bring something to his brothers. So remember, he's been anointed king, but he's back in the sheep fields taking care of the sheep and then in verse i'm sorry chapter 17 his father says hey go take some stuff to your brother in other words he's still the errand boy still taking care of his father's sheep they still are not impressed with him they're like great you're anointed that's great now go do this you know this is the red-headed stepchild and and in verse 31 david shows up on the scene and david says hey who's this guy And he goes, is someone going to do something about this? And the Bible says that his brother hears him talking. And it's literally right there. His brother tells him to shut up. He says, David, who do you think you are? I know your heart is is deceiving. It's wicked. David doesn't even respond. And I want want you to show, show you in verse 31. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for them. Him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he was a man of war from his youth. But hear this. David said to Saul, you ready? Put on your seatbelt. We're going to preach. Come on, put on your seatbelt with me. I'm going to preach. For the next 10 minutes that I have. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took out a lamb of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them today. Seeing he had has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And this is the last part I want to read. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened the sword and the armor and he tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Someone say he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch with his slingshot. And he drew near to the Philistine. Someone say amen to the word of God. So. David shows up in First Samuel chapter 16 and 17. We're starting to get this picture. Remember, I told you, God doesn't waste, have to waste any pain or anything that we go through. Amen. So we get this picture in First Samuel 16 and 17 that not only was David rejected when he was a boy. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I feel really bad for him in this story. When you realize this, the Bible says that finally... When, 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 when Saul calls for David to play the harp, the, the Bible says that Saul loved David. 
So after going through rejection for years, David finally finds a father figure like Saul. And the Bible says Saul greatly loves him. But guess what? The very next chapter, this is not going to, this relationship is not going to last long because Saul is going to go from loving David to hating David. David just can't seem to, he keeps stumbling from drama to drama to drama. Later on, his men that are supposed to be loyal to him get upset. The Bible says that one day they want to betray and kill him. All right, I'm going somewhere. And so then he shows up on the scene and we see that even though he's been anointed king, he's got all this oil on his life, but people still doubt him. Because when he says he wants to kill the giant, his brother laughs at him. And then at first the king mocks him. But what does David tell Saul? He tells him his testimony. Saul, I can kill the giant because I've been in the fields all these years and this is not my first rodeo. All right, here's what I'm going to preach. You see, David was put in the fields to be forgotten. In fact, the rabbis tell us the brothers were hoping that David would be consumed by a beast. But whatever the enemy meant for evil, God will use for. Okay. So in a place of rejection, oh my God, I'm trying to, t- I'm trying to talk to somebody right now. I told you God doesn't ordain everybody. I mean, everything in your life. See, this was not God's plan A for a child. I believe every child should be raised in a home where they're loved and valued. But God will use the pain and the brokenness of our circumstances to use us for his glory. Because here's here's why. He was put in a place to be forgotten. He he was put in a place of isolation. You remember what was it Bishop Jakes that used to say? "You You think you're being isolated, but God is protecting you. All right. You think you're being forgotten, but God is actually setting you up. You think you're being overlooked, but God is actually preparing you, right? Because here, I want you to think with me. Where does David learn to play the harp? He's out in the fields. No, he's got all the, he's got all this time. And so guess what he takes? He takes up a little hobby. And he starts playing this harp. But see, David doesn't just play this harp. David gets good at this harp. To, to, to the point where God is going to use the skills he acquired in a season of obscurity. I'm trying to tell you. Listen, see, sometimes we don't understand everything. We don't understand why we have to walk through certain things. Sometimes we don't understand why we have to walk through different circumstances. Sometimes we, we find ourselves in a place like, God, why am I in this place? But here's what I want to say. If we will learn to lean in to the most uncomfortable seasons of our life and allow God to form in us what needs to be formed. But not only this, this is what impresses me. There does, bitterness doesn't seem to set in. Because here's why our pain and our problems don't have to be wasted if we allow them to be redeemed in him. Because what, but because what happens is this, David could either sulk out there or he can worship. 
He said, I can either sit out here and, and rehearse how no one likes me, no one believes in me, no one's speaking life over me. Or you know what? See, where do, where do we think that David learned the skill? I had to encourage myself in the Lord. See, that's what I'm saying. We come to church and say, I want to be a worshiper. But do you understand what you're saying? You don't become a skilled worshiper until you walk through pain, until you walk through problems, until you walk through issues. Because you don't know how to encourage yourself in the Lord until it's been only you and him. You don't even know nothing about encouraging yourself or stirring yourself up until no one's been there to do it. It's just been you and him. And there were many of days that David was out there by himself with his heart. And he was doing something else while he was out in those fields. The shepherds did in his day. Every once in a while, a beast would come. A lion, a bear, and whatever else they got over there, right? And so David had to learn how to fight. (laughs) See, God uses everything. (laughs) He takes what the enemy meant for, and he turns it for your good. Because you're called according to his purpose. All right. So David's out there. He's playing the harp, but he's not just playing the harp. You know, he's taking care of the sheep, doing his thing, all that stuff. But, get, but what he's doing is, is, if anyone grew up in the country, you did this with like 22s or BB guns. Or, you know, you go out there and you set up some targets and then you come over here, right? And what do you do? You practice. So I can just see David in the field just, just practicing. He, he's, he's not even thinking about Goliath. He's just thinking, this is my assignment. Oh, my God. Try not to get sidetracked. This is what I've learned. People, when it comes to purpose, we're always in a hurry to get to the next thing. But here's what I've learned about God. If I can just be faithful with where God has placed me and what God has put in my hands, he will take care of the rest. David, David is not in these fields having visions of grandeur. He's just saying, hey, you know, he was put here. He didn't choose this, but guess what? Over time, he took ownership and actually began to care for the sheep. And so he's out there day by day practicing. Boom. But before you know it, David doesn't just get good. The Bible says he gets skillful. David can now hit targets from 100 yards away or whatever. We just came from Israel and they were telling us that back in the day, they could literally hit targets from very far away. All right, you with me? Come on, wave at me. And so in David's place of rejection and isolation, he learns the very skills. Someone say skills that God is going to use to elevate his life. You see, there's something that that we do also with David. David had two things. David didn't just have, you know, we, we say David was anointed. He was anointed. But let me tell you something. David was skilled too. skill. Someone say skill. Because, you, you know, we don't use the anointing just to get lazy, right? No, God's actually put some stuff in your hands. And God wants to give you a skill and an anointing. So that's why people say, why do I got to go to school? 
Because God, if God tells you to go to school, you got to go to school because he wants to give you a skill and an anointing. If God says, go center that person and learn this skill, do it because you never know. All right, I'm going I'm to leave that alone. So when David shows up that day, David doesn't just have an anointing. That's the most important thing. David has a skill. And can I say this? I read this so wrong for so many years. I, I used to read this story. You know, we all did. David's the underdog. How many of you have ever said that? No, he, he was never the underdog. Turn to your neighbor. Say, neighbor. He was never the underdog. David shows up on the scene. And we know that the spirit of God is with him. So David has the anointing. Everyone say the anointing. That's the most important thing. But David is also being very practical. He said, I'll take care of this. This dude is huge. I've, I've killed things faster than him, quicker than him, stronger than him. He's just standing there. He's just a big old brick. Have you ever thought about this? David brought a gun to a knife fight. See, because for Goliath to kill David, Goliath has to get close to David. But David says, I don't even have to let him get close to me. Because over the years, I've acquired some skills. And not just that. Now I've got an anointing too. I'm not the underdog. He's the underdog. David says, this is no big deal. He picks up five, five stones from the brook of El. People can believe whatever they want. This is why I believe he took five stones. Goliath had four brothers. David said, I'll kill him and I'll kill his four brothers. Because you know why? He said, I've been training for this moment. See, see, some of us don't even realize all the things that we've been through in all the seasons of our life are leading up to this moment. I'm going to close right here. This is my favorite part of the story though. It says that Saul tells David, wear my armor, right? And it doesn't fit David right. The Bible tells us that Saul was head and shoulders above all the rest. So apparently, you know, Saul was walking around like LeBron James or something, right? And so when David tries on the armor, David, it doesn't fit. And David actually says, he goes, no, I, I can't do this. And I love what it says. I love this. It says that David takes all that off. And what does he grab? His shepherd's pouch. He takes a slingshot. And then what else does he take? A staff. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why are you taking your staff? At the beginning of the chapter, he leaves the sheep with somebody else. So he doesn't need the sheep. To tend, I mean, he doesn't need the staff to tend to the sheep. This is an identity thing. He t- he's basically telling Saul, Saul, I can't fight this battle in your armor. When a shepherd is carrying their, sh- their, their rod, I learned this in Israel. Oftentimes, they, whenever they would kill a predator, they would mark their staff. Are you getting it? So why does he take his staff? He doesn't need his staff for the battle. 
as he's walking towards Goliath, the staff is his history with God. The staff is his testimony. Hear, Hear me out. The staff is even part of his identity because here's, here's what I want to say is, is he didn't choose to be a shepherd. They made him a shepherd, but it's in the shepherd's fields that God made a king out of a shepherd. And David said, I can't fight Goliath in your armor. All I can do is fight him the way I know how to fight him. In other words, all I can be is me. All right. Because God cannot anoint a polished version of yourself. He can only anoint the authentic you. And part of discovering who you're not, who you are is realizing who you're not. And so everything in his life had prepared him for this moment. And what's so incredible, if you, as you stand with me to your feet, if you, I'm out of time. Is this helping anybody this morning? Yeah. What's so incredible about this story, you remember the last time we talked about Abraham, we talked about prophetic intuition, right? What's so incredible about David killing Goliath is God never told him to kill Goliath, right? He, he stepped into a moment that he had been prepared for his entire life. And it came out of him. The problem child learned how to solve some problems when no one was watching and was faithful And now God was going to use him to solve a big problem in front of everyone. Are you hearing me this morning? Nothing in his life got wasted. God redeemed it. (laughs) And I want to declare this over you. I love this about God. That even though they rejected David and David dealt with so much rejection and and, and brokenness. And and by the way, David was not a perfect man. He didn't get fully healed because you can see some of it show up in his life later. In fact, some of it showed up in his children. But that's another story. But you know what I, I love about David? Is that through it all, he was reaching. You understand what I mean by that? You see this struggle and this, we get this, you know, HD picture of his life and he's not perfect by any means. And we know how some of the stuff he does later on, it gets crazy, right? I mean, great, like lifetime TNT drama, rated R crazy, HBO crazy. Am I right? But he's always reaching. Even in his pain and his brokenness and his struggle, he says, my soul and my flesh cry out for the living God. See, nothing gets wasted if we turn it into worship. Nothing. And even though they rejected him, guess what his name means? Guess what David means? It means beloved. 
some Hebrew translations, it means favorite. So everything that, everything that was spoken over him, God was screaming the opposite. And I want to say that over your life. Everything, you know, your circumstances will lie to you. Your, the, the things we go to will lie to us. The things that we go through will try to name. Can I say something? I felt that. The things that we go through will try to identify us. The things that we go through will try to label us. The things that we go through will try to tell us who we are. But can I tell you something? If you let it be who you are, then you will be that. But there's another option. There's another option. You can get you can get healed, you can get whole, you can get restored and you can bring listen to this. You can have pain and brokenness. You can either take that and go to the world and say, "I'm going to try everything out here to fix me or put me back together," or you can take the broken pieces of you and bring them to God and say, God, I don't really know what to do. Can I get real for a second? This sucks, but I know that you heal. This hurts, but I know that you heal. They have, they hurt me. My, they lied about me. They cheated me. This hurts. But guess what? You can take the broken pieces of your life and choose to build God an altar. Amen. I, every hand lifted with me. Every hand lifted with me. I have to close. can have our altar workers please come join us today in the spirit I felt really strongly to deal with that spirit of rejection here's why because if you feel rejected you will not feel loved if you don't feel loved you will not feel worthy the enemy loves to use rejection I'll tell you why because he's rejected Did you hear what I said? The enemy is rejected. You're not. He can't stand the fact that you belong to him. So he tries to convince, he wants you to feel rejected because there's no hope for him. But there's hope for you. There's redemption for you. Did you hear what I said? There's plans for you. There's purposes for you. Even through it all, there's always redemption for you. So with every hand lifted, first and foremost, if there's anyone in here that has not received the Lord and you want to do that, whether here in person or online, just wave at me. Every eye closed. Amen. Bless you. Bless you. Come on, let's pray this together online and in person. Dear Heavenly Father, come on, dear Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. Wash me in your precious blood. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Save me. Give me the grace to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's give them a hand clap. Just stay right there with your hands lifted. I want to pray a special prayer. There's two things I felt very strongly to pray for. Against rejection and discouragement. You don't have to tell me because I know. Because I've been there and we're all the same. We go through things and we go through circumstances and we think thoughts like this. Am I still loved? Am I still called? Am I still anointed? 
can I still do this? Right? Discouragement. Problems. Capital B. But God is still able. God is still a good father. God is still willing. Amen? And so... In just a second, if you have to go, you're dismissed. The altars are going to be open. But I want to pray for those who are battling a feeling of rejection and unworthiness. And I want to pray over those who are feeling discouraged. If that's you, please come join me here at these altars. I want to pray for you this morning before we dismiss. And if you need prayer for anything else at all, just come press in. I'm going to let you go in just a second because we're going to be back here tonight. How are you excited about tonight? It's going to be good, man. It's going to be so good. Come on, just lift up your hands. So, Father, right now, we just press into your presence, Lord. We thank you. Father, I'm praying over each and every heart and each and every life, God. I'm praying and I'm coming against the spirit of rejection in this place, Father God. Father, I'm praying over those who have been through broken circumstances, broken situations, betrayed, harmed. Father God, all kinds of things. Father, I'm praying, Lord, I thank you. That, Father, your heart is a father. Your heart is towards us, Lord. I thank you, God, for a spirit of sonship, a spirit and a revelation of adoption, Father. For those in here who don't feel loved or feel worthy, I thank you, God, for filling them with a fresh outpouring and a baptism of your love today, Father. Father, I thank you where man has spoken rejection and lies and man has spoken death over them. Today, God, we speak the opposite. We speak love. We speak hope. We speak life. We speak the plans and the purposes of God. Father, I thank you that everything that the enemy meant for evil in their lives, from their childhood till now, everything, every situation that they've walked through, God. Father, God, I thank you, Father God, that you are a healer. You are a restore, God. And Father, you will even use all of the things that the enemy meant for evil. And you will use them for a good. Father, I thank you, Father God, that they will, that, 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 that people are rising up like David who are carrying a staff in their hand. And that's their history with God. That's the, that's the story of their life about look what, look what I've been through. Look at the problems I face and the challenges I face. But look at what my God has done. Look at how good my God is. And Father, I thank you, God, that where where people have been rejected, God, you're raising up to heal others who have been rejected. Where people have been forgotten, God, you're using them to love people to feel seen, Father. You're you're, you're right. You're, You're using broken people, God, in this hour to rise up and bring healing in our families and in this nation, God. God, I'm prophesying hope. 
hope over each and every person and those facing discouragement. Father, I pray that we would never let our circumstances lie to us, Father God. What we're going through, what we're facing, what is being said does not equal who we are or what you have spoken over us, Father God. We speak the word of God. We speak the word of life. We speak the word of destiny over each and every person in this room. Thank you, Father. We bless your name in this place. Father, and I thank you that like David, that there are those in this room who your whole life has prepared you for this moment and this season. Everything that you've walked through, the good, the bad, and the ugly, has prepared you for this season of your life. Father, I thank you, God, that their past, anyone's past in this room will not be used as a weapon against them, but it will be a weapon in the hands of the believer, Father, because it says that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Their their past will not be used against them. Their past will become a testimony. And actually, God, you are causing all the things that have happened to work towards their good. They're coming out with a story. They're coming out with an anointing, God. And yes, even skill that they've learned in the secret place when no one was watching. And so, Father, I bless them. I bless them. I bless your people in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap. God bless you. Please feel free to linger here.